Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. It is great to see you this morning uh, here in person. If you're joining us online, uh, thank you so much for joining us as well. Well, happy Easter. Uh, I'm so glad you are here to celebrate Easter with us. Uh, Today, as we celebrate Easter as a church, I just want to remind you that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, uh, we think what we're celebrating today is the most significant event in the history of the world. Uh, more significant than the invention of the wheel, more significant uh, than um, men landing on the moon, uh, more significant than the printing press, more significant uh, even than the Braves World Series. And it might be close, but more significant, actually much more significant even than my Georgia Bulldogs winning a national championship this year. Today is the day. Easter is the time. The resurrection of Jesus is what brings us together, gives us hope, and allows us to celebrate together today. So one of the best ways I think for us to observe Easter together is to look in Mark's gospel. We're gonna be in Mark 15 if you wanna turn there. Uh, it might be mass chaos, but if you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back of the room. I don't know, Mike's back there, Tyler's back there. If you don't have a Bible, you lift up your hand. They might bring a Bible to you because they're really nice guys, but we'd love for you to see, uh, see the scripture. Uh, so Mark's account of the resurrection, what are we actually looking at? Uh, so history tells us uh, that Mark was a traveling companion and coworker with one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, And history tells us that Peter spent some time in the church in Rome, and before Peter was going to leave the church in Rome, that that church asked for a written uh, account of his story of Jesus, what he saw with his eyes. And that Peter uh, told that story, and Mark uh, wrote it down. And so that's what we have when we turn to the story of Jesus' resurrection. We have Mark's record of Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus' life. So these are what Peter taught. To give you the context before we jump in, although maybe I don't need to give you context today, where we left off in this story of Mark is Jesus has been crucified. And last week we talked about Jesus' death on the cross and its significance for us. But I want you to think just for a moment about what it would have meant for Jesus' disciples. That these people who had been following Jesus, we know there's 12 disciples, and we find out in the book of Acts that after Jesus' resurrection, there's about 120 people who had stayed faithful to following Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them? There's no record of what happened. We get the crucifixion, We're going to talk in just a few minutes about Jesus' burial, and then a couple of days go by, nothing really happens in the story. Seems as though Jesus' disciples just kind of go back home. And why wouldn't they, right? The crucifixion is the end of the story. The movement that they thought they were a part of is dead. After all, death is final. How could it be for the disciples, I imagine thinking this day, how could it be that Jesus is really who he claimed to be? How could he be who we thought that he was? Because 
Dead men don't lead movements. And dead men can't work miracles. Dead men don't heal people. Dead men can't kick the Romans out of our country. Dead men don't reform religious systems. Dead men don't stand up for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Dead men don't save people. After all, Moses was very much alive when he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And most of all, what we've seen in Mark is dead men don't establish kingdoms and reign as kings. And so the disciples go home, crushed by the weight of Jesus' death. And we know about this feeling. You and I have experienced that crushing weight that death brings. The overwhelming sorrow of death of someone that we love. The feeling of purposelessness when something that we were a part of dies or ends. And I imagine those are the same feelings that the disciples are having this very moment. And that's where we pick up the story. Mark 15, verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So this is Friday of Jesus' crucifixion. After Jesus' death on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, of new character to us, goes and asks for Jesus' body. Verse 44. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he, that's Jesus, should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joses saw where he was laid. Verse one of chapter 16. When the Sabbath had passed, that's Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint him. Uh, because Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and the Sabbath was the very next day, they rushed to get his body into the tomb. So these women now are coming back the day after the Sabbath when they're allowed to so they can anoint his body properly for burial. Verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying together, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection, these women show up at the tomb, 
worried about a massive stone. The stone has already been moved. What they find instead is a young man. We know from other gospel accounts this is an angel dressed in white. That's why they were alarmed. And the angel says, oh, oh, he's not here. If you're looking for Jesus, you're looking for him in the wrong place. You see, this is a tomb. And dead men lay in tombs, uh, but Jesus is not dead. He's alive, so this is not his sort of hangout anymore. He's not here. He's risen. Now, we see some interesting things in Mark's account. Three things I want to point out to you today, Easter Sunday. First, did you notice how many times Mark drops some names? You guys see that? This guy is name dropping like crazy. And he's introducing new characters. I, I don't know, maybe he didn't pass ninth grade lit class, right? But at the end of the story is not when you start to introduce new characters, but that's exactly what Mark does. The very last page of his account, he starts to introduce all of these new characters. Why? He introduced to us to Joseph of Arimathea. We find out he was a religious leader. He asked for Jesus' body. We see him going to Pilate. Pilate we've met before, but Pilate consults with a centurion who confirms Jesus' death. He tells us about three different Marys. Salome, why is he including all of these names? Because Mark wants us, wants us to know something. He wants to be certain that his readers understand something. And if you're taking notes, this is point one. That the resurrection is a historical event. It's not a legend. Mark is saying this really happened. Remember, his gospel account is written within the lifetime of many people who were around. He's saying this happened, and in fact, if you want proof that it happened, here are a list of people you can go talk to. Joseph of Arimathea, he's still around. Mary and Mary and Mary, still around. Go chase them down and have a conversation. This is important because no matter what you believe about Jesus, you have to believe at the very least that Jesus' disciples were convinced they're not making up a story this is not a myth with a teaching point. This is not a story about personal morality. This is not some sort of allegory about you overcoming your demons or death in your own life. This is a historical event that is being described in the book of Mark. Writing actual history. Claiming that Jesus was first really dead. That a Roman centurion who oversaw executions saw it and testified to it. An expert. This is what he did for a job. That Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps with some other servants, collected his body off the cross himself and laid it in the tomb. And that Mary and Mary watched that happen. And not only that, but he's claiming that Jesus is really alive. That when they went to the tomb, it was actually empty. And Mary and Mary and Salome all saw that. In other gospel accounts, they tell us that Peter, James, John, and the rest of the disciples all saw Jesus, that two disciples on the road to Emmaus interact with this resurrected Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected at a single time. That Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And then here's the rest of the claim, that he is still actually alive today. 
He was resurrected never to die again. Now, why is this important for us? It's important for us so we can understand that Christianity is not first and foremost about what you must do, what you need to do, how you should live, how to find your chi or 12 practical steps to you being a better person. That Christianity is first and foremost news about what Jesus has done. That Jesus rose from the dead. That first and foremost, the very foundation of what we believe is an announcement that something happened in history that changed the entire trajectory of the world. That Jesus was dead, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so if you are skeptical today, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. But this has massive implications about the way you ask questions about the Christian faith. The question for you is, could this actually be true? Because if this is a historical event, that carries immense weight. Now for believers, this has implications for us too. We should not be confused. We often, even as followers of Jesus, fall into thinking that Christianity is first and foremost about us. That what we get when we gather together on Sunday mornings is like three steps to have a better week. And those things are important, but they're not the most important thing. Christianity first and foremost, Christian, is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you, the resurrection. Now, this is an event, but this is an event with implications. In other words, it's not just describing a time and place of something. I don't know about you. Anybody um, get bored in history class in high school? I'll be honest with you. I got bored in a lot of classes in high school. Uh, PE was pretty fun. Uh, I liked lunch. Uh, I slept through biology every day. My mom was a teacher at that school, so that did not go well. And history, just learning dates, events, times, without any sort of significance, was kind of hard for me to track. But that's not the resurrection. The resurrection is a historical event that has implications. It's an event unlike every other event. It's not like sending out engagement announcements. It's not like saying, hey, we had another baby. It's very different from a regular Facebook post. I graduated from college. The resurrection is not quite the same as when an organization makes a press release or a team, a sports team, a Braves make an announcement of a trade. Hey, we just want you to know we traded a minor league player that you've never heard of for a seventh round draft pick and cash considerations. You're like, man, so what? Is Dansby Swanson still on the team or not? That's what I care about, right? But this event has massive implications. It is the claim that a man was dead and came back to life to never die again. It has implications about Jesus. Because if a man is resurrected from the dead, never to taste death again, that's a pretty big deal. And should cause us all to slow down and go, well, what's this guy all about? I love in verse seven, 
The angel says, hey, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, that he will see you there just as he told you. Why does the angel have to remind these women of what Jesus said? Because they're not expecting any sort of resurrection. And he's like, no, you remember what he said. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, that means that his claims during his life carry immense weight. That Jesus claimed to be the Messiah or the deliverer for God's people. That Jesus claimed that he had the power, we saw this in the book of Mark, to forgive people of their sins. That Jesus claimed that he was the promised king from the line of David, the son of man and the son of God. And at least three times we know in the book of Mark, he told his disciples that he would die and that he would be raised back from the dead. In fact, Jesus to his disciples said, that's actually the job of this Messiah, this deliverer, this rescuer that you were expecting, that he would save through his death. You see, Jesus can't do any of those while he's dead. But if he's alive that changes the way we have to view Jesus. That he's something more than just a religious teacher who said some things that we like and some things that we don't like, or he's more than just a religious teacher that led a movement that had some sort of implications long-term, that he is who he said he was. But not only is the resurrection an event that has implications about who Jesus is, his own identity, it's an event that has implications for us. That's what's so earth-shattering about the resurrection. It means something for us, even 2,000 years later. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what, here's what Paul says. This is crazy. That Jesus' resurrection from the dead is Jesus having victory over death itself and that Jesus shares. That he gives us that sort of victory as well. So let's back up. He says, the sting of death is sin. Here's what he means. Death is not natural, it's punitive. And the reason that we die is because sin is in our world and in our own hearts. And the problem is not just death, but that death comes from a sinful heart. And then he says, the problem's made even worse, that the power of sin is the law. Here, here's what he means that God gave rules or laws about how people were supposed to act, behave, think, and feel, and all those laws did was show us that we don't act or behave, think or feel anything like the way God longs for us to do. And then what the law did was it produced something in us, much like a rebellious teenager. If that's the rule, then I'm going to break it. Why? I don't know. What were you thinking? I don't know. I just knew I was compelled to make my own decisions for my own dang self. That's what he's saying. That's what happened to us. 
And so we are in bad shape, but Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus has victory over death itself, our major problem. (laughs) And that Jesus shares that with us. He gives us his victory. This is, um, obviously I'm still excited about the Braves World Series champions. I mean, we're we're gonna keep talking about that for the rest of the year, right? You guys cool with that? We'll just keep talking about it. I love what the Braves did. Not only did players get a World Series ring, but the front office staff all got World Series rings, which is awesome. I mean, they participated in the World Series victory. Even the announcers got World Series rings, and then they made replica rings that while not real diamonds, are pretty sweet looking, and they're gonna give away like 120-something thousands of those to fans. What are they saying? You get to have a part in the celebration of our victory. You didn't swing at a pitch. You didn't hit a ball. You didn't field a grounder. You didn't make a throw to second. Right? You didn't throw a single curveball, but you get to share in this with us as part of the celebration. Now, the metaphor breaks down at some point because we gave money to the team and they bought the team. Right? I get that, right? But you see the point. Then Jesus' resurrection, he is sharing his victory with those who believe and trust in him. So that his victory over death is your victory over death. So that his victory over sin is your victory over sin. So that his perfect life, his triumph over temptation is your triumph over temptation. That you get that victory. So in this way, if you're taking notes, this is number two. The resurrection is transformational not just informational, right? It's not just an informational announcement. It's good news about Jesus. It's transformational. It's good news about Jesus that is for you and for me. Victory for us. I love Jonathan Dodson and Brad Watson say this, the resurrection changes everything. Our self-understanding, our identity, our desires, our dreams. That if Jesus has really come back from the dead, and Jesus has really gifted to us victory over sin and death, then that changes what we think about ourselves. That changes who gets to define us. That changes what we desire. And that changes our future. And this kind of story is the kind of story you don't just respond to with, oh, that's neat. Easter Sunday, going to mom's house after this. He, Brandon told some funny jokes. I guess that was good. He wore a jacket. Never saw him in a jacket before. That was great. It was a good service. Now let's hide some eggs, eat some ham, and who brought the cake? But if this is true, Don't you think it's worth a little bit more of your time today? A little more thought, a little more self-reflection, a few more questions. Because if it's true, it transforms our relationship with God, right? If it's true, we're no longer sinners separated from God. But through Jesus, we've been drawn near to God. If Jesus just dies on the cross for our sins and there's no resurrection, how do we know that's true? 
but because of the resurrection, we walk out of here going, I know I am forgiven. Jesus paid the full penalty of my sin on the cross, and then he rose again to prove that he really did what he said he was going to do. And so I walk out of here with confidence knowing I've been forgiven by Jesus. Paul says, in Christ you're a new creation. How do you know that? The resurrection. So you walk out of here today going, I've been made into a new person because Jesus is alive. It is transformational, not just informational. One more thing. Mark ends weird. All right, I gotta explain something to you. Before I explain something to you, I want you to know, Dr. Jason Sampler and I are got a podcast we're gonna release this week to help you understand what I'm about to tell you better, all right? So don't get caught up in this. You see something weird in your Bible? Anybody got a Bible? Look in your Bible real quick. After verse eight, you should have some brackets around some text and a little note. And your note might say something like this. Earliest manuscripts do not include 16, nine through 20. You're like, what is going on there? If your Bible translation doesn't have that, then you need to go get another Bible. We'll help you with that. Grab one of these in the back, all right? The reason that that note is there is because more than likely, as people have gathered more and more and more manuscripts in the Greek of the New Testament, what they found is that this ending of Mark is only in much later versions. That most versions and most earliest versions don't have this ending. So probably what happened is a scribe or somebody doing commentary at some point wrote a note to help you understand how the story ends from the other gospels, and then somebody copied that, thinking that it was original, and it kind of got included over time. Now, we've talked about this before. There's about four instances of this in the New Testament, and the reason that this is good news for you is because all good translations tell you, hey, we're not exactly sure what's going on in this passage, all right? You got questions? Podcast coming out, Mercy Hill this week. All right, Jason's gonna explain all the answers to you, all right? You can do it way better than me. All right, now, if this is not the original ending, 9 through 20, do you notice how the book of Mark ends? And the women were afraid. And they wondered if they were going to tell anybody. What a stinking letdown. Now, some of you haven't been on this whole journey through us through the book of Mark, but this is message number 30. And you should be upset. 30 messages, 30 Sundays, eight months of us going through this book. And you get to the end, there's some women. They talked to an angel and then they were afraid and they didn't know what to do. And that's it. I mean, this is like the ending of Inception. That top is spinning. You're like, it's a little wobble. What happens? Or the ending of Castaway. Right where Tom Hanks is just standing at the crossroads. You're like, what's he going to do with his life? I don't know. He's going to choose his own way. And you're like, but what is it? That's the way this ends. Because really the book of Mark is ending with a question, and that question is an invitation. Mark is ending abruptly to ask something of us. So that you will ask, is the story true? So that you and I will ask, not just what are these women going to do, but what am I going to do? Is this story going to have any impact on me? 
are they going to tell the disciples? Well, we know they told the disciples because we're here today. They obviously told someone, right? Here's the deal, number three. The resurrection is a beginning, not an ending. The reason Mark ends this way is because it's not the end of the story. The story is not over. You know, the reader knows just because they're holding the book of Mark in their hands that the story isn't over. It's obvious to the person reading the book how the story goes from here. The reason he ends it this way is because he doesn't want to tie a nice bow on it. He wants to say, what about you? What do you think? You've heard the stories of Jesus. You, you saw how he raised a paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven. You heard the stories of Jesus. You saw how he interacted with people. You've heard the stories of Jesus. You saw how he broke bread and it multiplied and fed 5,000. You've heard the stories of Jesus. We've seen him walk across the water. You've heard the stories. You heard the story of his death. You heard the story of his burial. And now you've heard the story that he is alive. What do you think? What will you do with the story? What will you decide? Will this be a story that you dismiss? It's a myth. It's a legend. Those guys are crazy. Does it be a story that maybe you just rush past? That's interesting. Let me think about it. Or is this the story that defines everything about you? Do you say, I will believe that Jesus is the risen son of God. So resurrection is not the beginning. I mean, not the ending, it's a beginning. It's at a beginning for you and me. Will we accept the fact that he is risen? He's not in the tomb. So what does this mean for us today? Well, for some of us, that's just the question, Easter Sunday. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you in your place, and do you believe that he rose from the dead? And if so, are you willing to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of rescue that Jesus brings, receive this shared victory that Jesus wants to share are you willing to receive that? The Bible calls this faith. It's the most unique thing about Christianity. What's required of you is not church attendance. What's required of you is not being an upstanding citizen. What's required of you is not some sort of family connection. What God asks of you and me is simply that we would believe in Jesus. That as Jesus shares a victory over sin and death with us, that we would, by faith, receive it. So for some of us, that's a question today. You would maybe say you're far from God. You would maybe say that this church thing doesn't mean a lot to you. You would maybe say, maybe you've been thinking about it. 
And today the question is, is today the day that you believe it? You receive this gift from God. For some of us who are believers today, the question is, how does this affect our lives? Will we allow this to shape and change us? I love A.W. Tozer. He says, Easter was not a holiday or even a holy day. It was not a day at all. It was an accomplished fact that lived with them. He's talking about the early church all year long and became the reason for their daily conduct. He lives, they say. This is the early church. The first church said he lives and we live. He was triumphant and in him we are triumphant. He is with us, leads us, and we follow. So believers, this is what the resurrection asks from you. That Jesus' death and resurrection would not be a Easter sort of thing, but it would seep into our daily lives and affect everything about us. It would, remember as Jonathan and Brad said earlier, change everything about us. And then finally, I think we have to point this out, is Easter a story worth telling? And that's a question at the end of Mark. The angel says, go tell, and the women are filled with fear. It's a shift that happens in the New Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, the invitation of God is come and see. Come to the temple. Come to Jerusalem. Come and see who God is. But in the New Testament, there's this shift. Go and tell. Tell a neighbor. Tell a friend. Talk about the story of Jesus. Christianity is not a standing around religion. It is a go and tell religion. News, an announcement, an event, historical event that's meant to be shared, an announcement that's meant to be made. All right, so there's good news today. Good news of a historical event that has implications for your life. An event that is a beginning for you, not an ending. That news is Jesus is alive. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.